This episode is brought to you by the generosity of our listeners. How do you deal with your harshest critic? You. Well, that's what we're going to talk about on today's podcast. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Nassadi. Hello and welcome to episode 99 of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. And we are so glad you're joining us on yet another adventure to put your faith to work and to bring your bold ideas to life. Today, Armin and I are going to take a break from our wonderful guests, aren't we, Armin? That's right. And we're going to uh, just talk about a topic that is near and dear to our hearts because it's something we've wrestled with for a long time. And as we talk to aspiring entrepreneurs and idea people and people who want to move into the next chapter of their life and 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 those who really do like you I'm sure want to put your bold idea to work you're going to face critics and for many of us the harshest ones right inside so we want to talk about that today and it's going to be painful especially for me (laughs) (laughs) it's always it's always painful opening up to those internal critics isn't it absolutely so how often Armin do you find yourself wrestling with your internal critic I think it's an easier question to ask uh, how often do I not do that yeah because it's a it's a constant consistent theme in back of my head. I critique everything mm-hmm. and nothing is ever good enough uh, when I'm doing it. Yeah. And, and do you have a, do you have a theme that is your critic is kind of drawing attention to you? Do they kind of harp on the same uh, theme line? You know, absolutely. And um, it's one of those things where uh, if you read through the Bible in any way where it talks about how the enemy kind of works against you, um, I would fit that profile perfectly. And I just go into it every time and fail miserably. It's like, I have this, I don't know what the word is. I have this ability to hear from the devil more than (laughs) to hear from God when it comes when it comes to me. The devil and, made me uh, not do it. In it's this case, always right? like the worthiness, qualified, good enough yep. type scenario. If yep. You know what I mean? I do. And in that case, it's kind of the devil made me not do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that might be a good place to start because I think one of the challenges that we have with our internal critic is even before we put an idea in play, because we often, when we think about an idea or we start brainstorming along things, we start dismissing things right away because we think, oh, well, that can't happen or this can't happen. And we come up with more reasons to not do something than we can do to do it. And it's hard to set the critic aside and say, look, I'm not going to pronounce judgment on any idea right now. I just want to be an idea factory. And as stupid or as illogical or improbable an idea might become, I shoot myself in the foot if I'm critiquing everything even before it gets out on paper. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And what you end up doing is you shut your idea factory down. I mean, why? Think about it this way. If you're training your brain to say no to anything, why would it ever come up with anything positive to say yes to? Right. Because everything becomes an automatic no. Especially if it's a self-defense or a self-protection type oh, yeah. uh, mindset. And that, I mean, your brain functioning the way it does, it wants to avoid bad. So the 
obvious conclusion for your brain to logically go to is how do you avoid pain and you know the best way to avoid pain is not do anything and not try anything and never want to fail yeah your thought made me think that, that we want to avoid bad while looking good right yeah you know and that, so that so that yeah. <laughs> well i mean that, that that pushes us into our zone of safety right and that we we won't take risks when we think we might look bad in doing it and fail in the process because we'd look bad doing it. And so, you know, certainly nothing bold about that. Right. Absolutely. Well, we know our audience is striving for bold ideas, so we should probably come up with some ways to manage our internal critic. What do you do when your internal critic starts to sound off like it does? Um, you know, I, I, I won't say anything fancy here by any stretch of the imagination, but when my internal voice that kind of sparks and tells me to run or hide more often than not my goal is to <laughs> do everything in my power not to listen to that and i take it to the people that know me best and process it with them and get their feedback because if it's just in my head there is no end of negativity to it and i'm such an external processor that until those words come out of my mouth and I hear them coming out of my mouth and I can see a person's reaction, you know, like body language, not even hear anything. I don't necessarily even know if what I'm talking about is good or bad, because in the back of my head, me doing anything is going to turn out bad because <laughs> I have such high hopes uh -huh. for myself sometimes, you know, well, we do set those standards of perfection, but you know, your, your response is a lot healthier than mine. I, I, uh, about a couple of years ago, I remember very clearly, I was sitting down to do some writing and I got probably an hour into it and I'm like, oh, this is just garbage. Mm. And I started just berating myself. My internal critic just went crazy. Mm. And I literally, literally, I mean, I just got up from the desk. I slammed my chair to the desk and I, <laughs> and I went downstairs into my garage i left i went up to the grocery store i bought a pint of ice cream <laughs> uh, get this it was ben and jerry's they don't sell this flavor anymore but what a cluster was perfect <laughs> perfect brand for what i was dealing with and i ate my critic to uh, to submission <laughs> I was so frustrated with myself. I was like, it just tearing into this. I, I've, I've spent time doing this and now it's a waste. I could have spent time doing other things. And here, you know, and I had to step back and say, what am I doing to myself? I mean, that's not just self-destructive internally. I mean, I was physically eating it as well, you know? <laughs> it was just crazy. What was the project you were working on anyway that, I, that I, led know, to that? I don't know. It was one of the books that I had in mind, and I thought, you know, I'm going to start uh, in on this chapter. I kind of had some energy for it, sure. and then I started going into it, and, you know, the early goings of something like that, I'm like, I had all this, this, you know how it is. You get all this excitement and enthusiasm to start something, and the realities of it is it starts to play, and, and I start finessing with every word, and I want everything to be perfect, and it wasn't lining up, and I'm like, and I know that's not how you're supposed to write. You know, and it's like, yeah. and, and, and yet it was how I was writing and it was just totally, totally destructive. But you know, that's so normal. I mean, and it's on, it's very honest too, is when you're working on something that you're going to take publicly, like a book, you can't take that back, you know, or right. a video or a right 
podcast or a um, speech, a message, a sermon, anything that's public. <laughs> yeah, <a tweet. laughs> it, it, it is almost impossible not to do that, um, even though they tell you don't. Right. <laughs> like something in your brain is not going to sit there and just go quiet when it knows darn well that this is going to be in front of a public audience. And when that's going to take place, you're obviously going to take into account what other people might think. And in my head, at least, I always think, well, they're going to think the worst like I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you think that people are going to think exactly like you do because they're just as critical about you as you are, or even more so, you know, and somehow you don't realize that you're your worst critic. And, right. uh, but, you know, I, I decided I was going to jot down a few things about how to deal with this inner critic, right? And so I'd like to share a couple with you, Armin, and see what ones you have as well in terms of how you deal with yours. But the first one I had to do was I had to get a healthy view of my inner critic. You know, I had to celebrate the fact that the critic is there to help keep me to a high standard, you know, to pursue excellence. And in, and I'm, I'm being self-critical harshly because I have a high standard and I think I needed to see the positive in that as opposed to just always feeling like I'm getting beat to death. I needed to see that actually there's something good there that needs to be recovered. And that is a good sense of high quality that I want to have on whatever I do. And I'm guessing that all of us who struggle with this internal critic, we have it because we care. You know, we care about what it looks like and we care about, you know, developing a good product. The challenge is, of course, separating the ego from that. You know, what do we care just because we want people to think well of us? Absolutely. It's, it's one of those things where I sit back, I reflect and I think to myself to make the situation worse. Is there any hope for me? Mm -hmm. How do I navigate this if I am the worst critic and I can't seem to change those loud voices in my head. Is there even a way to change this? Yeah. How do you get through it when you know you got it coming at you full force? Right. Mm -hmm. It's a sensitive topic now that I'm thinking. The more I process it, the more I, I, I can actually physically sense myself getting uncomfortable um, the deeper we go into this conversation. I honestly didn't realize this is that uncomfortable for me until we just started this. Yeah, well, you know, that episode that I told you about where I went and got the water cluster ice cream, I did come back and I did sit down and I did actually re-engage my writing. But I had to almost, well, I think I actually did verbally say out loud, you know, you cannot stop me. And, and mm. until I make a pact with my inner critic that says, you can help me, you can help me make it better, but you're not going to stop me. And because mm. there's always this sense that that inner critic is there only to put the brakes on, you know, only to yeah. say, you know, I don't want you doing this anymore. And that's exactly what it did. And I had to go you know, get some ice cream and get some distance from it and get upset at it to come back and say, no, I'm fighting. I'm fighting for this. And I love what Robert Fritz said. He said, to create something, you must love it enough to see it exist. Mm. And, and, and that's really been one of those sayings that, that has been really important to me. When I realize, you know, that I've given in to my inner critic, I have to honestly say to myself, well, I didn't love it enough then to see it exist. Because I didn't wow. love it more than I loved the voice inside of my head telling me it can't work. Oh, that's good. I, yeah, wow. I'm, I'm processing that right now. And 
I'm reflecting back on things I didn't do. And that helps so much knowing something as simple as, huh, I honestly didn't even like it enough, let alone love it enough. I just felt obligated to do it. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of what we do, I think, is out of obligation. And then the inner critic really goes crazy too, you know. And I think it's important to understand the freedom that we have. There's so many things that we do that we just think others want us to do or it will make us look better if we do it or, you know, whatever that sense of obligation is rather than saying, you know, do I really want to create this? Is this something I really want to create? Because if we really love it enough that we want to create it, then we should love it more than we do the voice inside of our head saying, don't do that. Man, you know, there's a quote by Theodore Roosevelt that has been a game changer for uh, my ministry partner and I, Ben Peterson. We've had him on the podcast before. Um, ben even has it at the end of his emails um, in his signature. And it's one of those things that I, I'm pretty sure Ben and I visit this specific quote, which tackles this exact issue that we're talking about. And I don't know if you already know which quote I'm referring no. to, but let me read it. It's um, Again, this is Theodore Roosevelt. He said, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails, while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those quotes where at the end of the day, we, I, I, Ben and I look at it and there's so many arenas we look at and we get scared because we think, man, there's gladiators in that arena that are bigger than us, stronger than us, smarter than us, more experienced than us. And there is a very, very high likelihood of failure. So why should we try? And then we look at a quote like this and we just think, man, how much greater is it to say that we actually entered into that arena, regardless of win or fail or otherwise, that we were willing to risk it and be bold enough to enter the arena and willing to sweat and willing to get dirty and willing to bleed for this because we were willing to look at whatever is in front of us and say, this is important enough. I love it enough that I'm willing to fail at it. And leaving scarred and bloodied is worth it because at least I can look back and talk to people and say, yeah, you might not have liked the way I said this or did this or looked at this when I did it. But at the end of the day, at least I was in the arena when you sat back on the bleachers and watched and critiqued me. And um, that's something we use as a point of motivation all the time because there's more situations than I can possibly count on a weekly basis where my mindset is there's someone better for this than me. Oh, regardless. Yeah. Yeah, all, the, all the time, you know, and, and most of the time, I think our arenas are very private. They're, they're, you know, we do the work alone. We don't necessarily do them with other people. I mean, that's not always true, but for many times the, the inner critic is going to come out mostly when you don't have the support of others that are working with you. 
it's the advantage of a team that can help make something happen. And that's one of the one of the key things, key objectives is to get with other people that might be trying to do the same thing that you're doing because you're into an arena with other bloodied warriors to use the metaphor you've just been talking about. And sometimes seeing the blood on other people's back, you know, helps you to to stay in the battle yourself. You know, you're not the only one taking taking the licks. You know, you're yeah. you're you're in the battle along with others, and you're fighting for a worthy cause. And that's all good stuff. You know, it's 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 worth fighting for, and you do have to love it enough to fight for it. I think that's such that's an important right. principle. That's, Absolutely, that's, that's good. solid. Well, you know, one of the other things that I've done is is I've I'm trying to change my inner inner critic to not just point out problems, but to point out solutions. For instance, when I set about writing, and they say, you know, that's really garbage. You know, that's what what I'll I'll hear, or you know, what makes you think you should do that? And I'll just you know like challenge my inner critic. Okay, well, what is it that you don't like about that? How can I fix it? What does it make? What would make it better? As opposed to just capitulating and saying that the critique that I have about it is just thrown over the fence. It's like throwing tomatoes. It's like, no, let's not, <laughs> let's not just throw a tomato. Let's figure out how we can make tomato soup or let's do something constructive with it rather than just, you know, destructive. So training myself to notice that when the critic comes in play, that I need to be looking for solutions, not just submitting to the voice of the problem. Right. So good. <laughs> submitting to the voice of the problem. I love that. I love that because that is exactly what we do is that there it is a submission process and just and I'm processing this out loud as you just yeah. said that and you're at all times you are submitting to something right well, you're either submitting to the voice of God or the voice of the enemy the plan of God or the plan of the enemy the plan of man or the plan of God or however you want to say it there is a submission process more often than not yeah well let's be real I mean our brains follow the path of least resistance. You know, if it's easier to give up on something, we're going to give up on it unless right. we love it enough to, to pursue it. And then our love will carry us through it. But, you know, Gregory Burns, the neuroscientist said, our brains are a lazy piece of meat. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's kind of that way. You know, if we find that it's easier to not do it, we're going to not do it. And, mm. and so we need to put the structures in place for us to, to make it easier for us to do it than to not do it. And, uh, and, you know, that's, that's what's, that, that, that's where help having other people. Like if you're, if you're trying to write a book or whatever, get into a writing group. If you're trying to do a launch a business, get with other entrepreneur, entrepreneurs who are launching a business, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, get in teams with other people that might be doing it because that helps set a structure or get a coach. You know, if you're trying to, to lose weight or get in shape, or you're trying to learn how to dance, or you're trying to, whatever it is you might skill, you might be trying to pick up. Get a coach because that provides structure. That's the only way, you know, when I started working out, is the only way I, I went to the gym only because I was paying a lot of money to be at the gym uh, be, because I, was, I had hired a, a coach. And so sometimes we have to put our money where our intentions are and otherwise we'll just, uh, we'll just relax and not right. do anything. Yeah, and you know what the other thing is that as, as I'm processing what you're saying too is, and this is hindsight, obviously, and hindsight being 2020, I realized one of the reasons that my critic inside my head is so harsh is because of this one very unnecessary and extreme process called comparison. Yeah, I compare myself to other people who have done what I'm doing or could do what I'm planning to do, whatever that thing might be. And every time I compare 
that's when I start to fall apart because I do not live in a world where I ever view myself as the best at something. Yep. And somehow I convince myself that there are others that should be doing this. There are others that are more worthy. There are others that are more qualified. But I don't always take the time to think, sure, there are more people that are more qualified or more worthy or more whatever. But does that matter if they're not the ones that are being called to it right now for this specific assignment? Yeah, that's right. And in the fact of the matter, the truth is, yes, there are other more qualified. And the truth is there are others less qualified that are actually doing what you are thinking you can't do because you're not qualified enough. You know, so right. there's a whole spectrum. The only difference between those that do and those that don't are they, they did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I think, it, I think a lot of this boils down to the paradigm we choose to put on for how we think about ourselves. And there's, there's two different paradigms you can put on. You can put on the paradigm of shame, which says, you know, I'm not, I'm not able to do anything perfectly. I'm not perfect myself. Therefore, I am the problem that I am fundamentally broken that I have this inability to do something well enough and so the, the, that I don't deserve then to do it. And that's a very much a shame perspective. And you and I talked about shame on the Reinventure Me podcast, you know, a long time ago. But right. the other perspective, the other kind of paradigm that we can put on is grace. And, and mm-hmm. the, the paradigm of grace is to say, look, yeah, you're not perfect. You do have needs. You're not fully able. You're not fully adequate. You're not all of that. But that's okay because grace covers the difference between what's expected of you and what you can do to meet those expe- expectations. That difference between what you're able to do and what's expected of you is all covered by grace. And the important thing here for believers is when we're called on a mission to implement a bold idea It isn't just us doing it. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. God says in Genesis chapter two from the very beginning that we're co-laborers. He he didn't cause growth to happen in the very beginning unless there was rain and there was man to work the ground. It took both of those together. So from the very Mm -hmm. beginning, we've been co-laborers, right? And if we only think about our internal critic shutting us down, we're fully discounting and dismissing the power of God to move us through any bold idea that he would have for us. And to your point about earlier uh, that you led off with is that, you know, you easily listen to the voice of Satan. Well, I actually think that there's something to that. There is a spiritual dimension to this that would want to shut us down from co-laboring with God and unleashing our bold idea. And, uh, and that's because, you know, the evil one would have us wanting to live in this shame place as opposed to experiencing the grace of God. Hey, we, we are co-laborers. And if he's able to do all of what he's done and continuing to do, then why can't he do that with me? And why wouldn't he want to do that with me? In fact, that's what we're called to do. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. Hey, y'all, this is Armin and Larry here. We just want to thank you for being a part of our podcast journey here at the Bold Idea Podcast. And uh, we would love to remain a ad-free podcast. So if this is a podcast that you're enjoying, would love to keep it ad-free, please go to boldideapodcast.com forward slash donate and help us keep it ad-free. And this was not an ad.
the other part of this that now that you're talking about kind of Satan's role in this and, and emphasizing this, one of the things that comes to my mind is that more often than not, God does use the least qualified human beings on the planet and he assigns them to do the works that he has called them to. Because in those situations, it is really hard to look at the person and think it's because you're so good and so wise and so well off and so articulate and so educated and so strong and so powerful and so whatever else that you were able to do this. And I, and I think it's it's God's way of showing that those who are surrendered to him and answer his calls, regardless of their qualification, are the ones that God's going to use to lead them to accomplish the great things that God has called each of us to. And that way, it is not very difficult for people to look at the situation and see, wow, God moved and he used you to move um, this world, to impact this world, to accomplish great things. And it's not because you're so incredible or so wise. It's because you were so surrendered and you were so submitted and you were so humble. All the attributes that God would want us to emphasize and uh, not the ones <laughs> that he would want us to emphasize. You know, it almost minimizes the human qualifications and emphasizes the godly characteristics of a person yeah uh, you know the bible says god chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise and what's weak mm. to shame the strong and so there's a, you know your whole the whole point here is that when we think we're strong uh, we are not working out of our we're not working out of god's strength we're trying to work out of our own and we're going to encounter our limitations even more quickly right and and here's the other thing that comes to my mind is this process with God. If if, if you kind of look for themes with uh, within the Bible about how miracles take place, you realize more often than not these miracles didn't just happen. That more often than not, that there's a a preparation process that takes place. Um, for a miracle to take place in an individual or army or people group's life. And um, one of the, the stories that comes to mind is the story where Israel has basically four different kingdoms. One of the kingdoms breaks off and the other three parts of Israel basically come together, unite to go after this one other king. And they are taking their armies and marching them through the desert and between the mountains. And they're trying to get to their enemy so that they can take them out. And in the process, they are literally dying of thirst and they've already abandoned God and all these things. And now that they're about to die, one of them says, well, isn't there someone left in our world that still has some kind of relationship with this God guy? And then they go and they think of Elisha and they go sit down with Elisha and Elisha basically tells them, I don't like you. I don't like you. I don't like you either, but I kind of respect you. So because I respect you, I'm willing to share this word with you. And uh, he says, here's the word of the Lord, go out into the desert that you're dying in basically and go start digging holes mm -hmm. in preparation for the miracle that you need, which was literally water because their food supply, which was the livestock, was about to die of thirst too. And so with their last bit of life that's left in their bodies, they take this word and they go out into the desert and they literally dig holes in preparation for a miracle of God. And in that moment, they're literally using the last nuance of strength that they have to dig holes in a desert. And then all of a sudden the water comes 
And what's so interesting about this story is if those holes weren't dug, the water would have came and it would have gone as just as fast as it came. But because they were willing to prepare for the miracle of God, they didn't just sit and wait and exert all their faith as they put in the work and prepared by digging those holes. And I think so often that we get these assignments from God or these callings from God and we don't see a way and we quit when in reality God is saying, no, for you to accomplish this thing that you don't think you're qualified for or worthy of or whatever is the exact reason I need you to do it. And I just need you to prepare for the miracle and just watch me move, but don't just sit back and wait for it to be done. It's okay that you're not strong enough. It's okay that you're not smart enough. It's okay that you're not whatever enough, because those are the exact moments where I will be enough in your life and the power of God will be seen in you, around you, and through you. And because of that miracle, the people around you who witness it will come to you with the curiosity of asking how did you do it? And in that moment, you can say, because God. Mm. And I think those are the those are the most intense moments because it is putting you in a position that you have to exert a certain amount of faith that you would never put out otherwise if you thought you were qualified, if you thought you were smart enough, because then all of that would be in your own power, your own ability, your own talent, your own skill, mm. and not God. And I think a lot of these situations that we end up in where we disqualify ourselves those are some of the most godly moments is if we can break through all that doubt and all the negative critiques that we get in our head. Those are the greatest moments for us because that is how God, I, I, at least in my life that I've seen, prepares me for the greatest miracles in my life as a prime example. My courtroom story, which we won't get into yeah. again, but yeah, I, I would have never seen that kind of miracle taking place where I could have freedom to live my life. But I went through the process that he put in front of me, and mm-hmm. man, it was, it was, it was a literal miracle. Mm-hmm, it was, yeah. So what I hear you saying in that story, I mean, that I think is really powerful, is that we need to prepare for the long game because we can't see all of what is yet to transpire, and staying at it, loving it enough to see it complete, and and knowing that God is the one in control. Uh, that's important. Why don't we wrap up by just kind of summarizing the ground we covered real quick, Armin, for our listeners. I think, first of all, we, you know, we talked about the fact that all of us, generally speaking, have an internal critic that's going to be really harsh. And, uh, and, and we, instead of taking that internal critic and just succumbing to it, we need to recognize that it's there to serve a purpose. It's there to remind us of doing a job excellently. But also, we've got to say no to allowing it to shut us down. And, and that that's more than just a critic or a voice. It actually represents a little bit of a spiritual battle for those of us that are believers because we negate the very thing, the act that God might be trying to do in our lives when we just succumb to the pressure of our own thoughts about whether something's worthy or whether we're worthy or not. And we need to learn to say no and redirect it to finding solutions instead of just pointing out problems so that we can move on from it. And at the end of the day, If we don't love it enough, we're going to not see it exist. And so the question is, are we committed before God to pursue what it is that we think he's calling us in our bold idea? And if so, then it's going to have that long kind of obedience that Armin was just 
talking about where we're going to stay at it knowing that we're going to face the voice of the internal critic. We can tell it no. We can help it redirect us to solve some problems, but it's going to rise up again and again and again, and we just need to know that that's there. It's there to remind us to do a job well done, but it's not there to stop us. Right. And that's the key thing that we want to try to get across today. We hope that you were inspired by that. Did I miss anything, Armin? Anything else we should add to that? Summary? You know, the one last thing I would add is this. Um, We've talked about this in the past where in New York, they put out this big giant chalkboard and they asked one question on top. No one there leading it. They just said, what is your greatest regret in life? And hundreds and hundreds of people walked by it, stopped, saw it and started writing down what their greatest regret was. And I'll relate this back to the arena quote by Theodore Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. And Almost every single human being that wrote something on that board about what their greatest regret in life was, I don't think there was a single person that said they regretted something they did. Almost every single person, and and it was all random people, all different ages, races, cultures, religious backgrounds, um, wrote on this. The most common theme by far and away was people wrote down their regret was something they didn't do, not what something they did. And uh, again, referring back to that arena quote, I don't think there are a lot of people in this world that are going to grow old and be in their dying bed and look back at their life and regret getting in the arena and getting the snot beat out of them. I think they're going to look back at their failures and say, at least I tried. But when we get into our deathbeds, I think we will reflect back and think, I allowed my fear, my insecurity, my doubt, my negative voice, my critic, the enemy, Satan, devil, whatever you want to say, prevent me from at least stepping foot in the arena. And I think the greatest regret that we will always deal with is not doing something that we felt like we were supposed to do. And at the end of the day, even if we walk into that arena and get the snot beat out of us and fail miserably, we will still be proud of that and reflect back on it and think, at least I had the cojones to go in there and do it. Yes, I failed, but at least I tried. Amen. Well, I guess that's our word for you today is go get the snot beat out of you. Yes, right. <laughs> and, whatever, and whatever God is calling you to. Uh, we hope that you got a little motivation, a little inspiration, and maybe a few action steps that you could take away to pursue your bold idea today. And we certainly love to hear how have you been handling your internal critic? And and just let us know. Go to boldideapodcast.com slash 99. Sound off there and let us know what you think about uh, what we've discussed and, and what you think about some of the ways that you found to be effective at managing your inner critic. We'd love to hear that. That's all we have for today. And until next time, this is Larry Gates. And Armina saying so long, be bold, and go put your faith to work. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.